Hello, dearest listener. You have tuned in to At Your Peril by Arthur McBain and Owen Jenkins. Before we begin, a parish notice. A warning. What you are about to hear may terrify and horrify you to the very core of your being. It may also involve content unsuitable for children, those with a nervous disposition, or wimps. If you must, turn off your receiver now. No? In that case, we shall begin at your peril. Most people think stories are just stories and nothing more. Things we make up to entertain each other. Or that a true story is the simple retelling of something that happened to someone, somewhere, sometime. Most people are wrong. Oscar Wilde had a better handle on it when he said that life imitates art far more than art imitates life. But even he didn't quite have it right. Stories are not mere fantasies, nor historical accounts, nor, as Oscar Wilde had it, are they the catalyst for imitation. The truth is that if a story is told well, and by the right person, then it will come to pass. Once told, the events are already set in motion, and cannot be stopped. This is why the first move of tyrants is to put the poets and playwrights under lock and key, or worse. Storytellers are dangerous people. Mary Smith was a reluctant storyteller. She was a very good storyteller, but she was reluctant nonetheless. Mary knew her power, and she knew her stories, and none of them had happy endings. Mary Smith lived on Dartmoor, in a stone cottage many hundreds of years old. It had been a small barn once, adjacent to a farmhouse, the only home for miles around. The farmhouse itself had crumbled long ago and been swallowed by the earth, now just about perceptible as undulations in the ground. Dartmoor was then, as it is now and always has been, a wild, mostly barren, bleak, beautiful, intimidating, bewitching, dangerous place. On a sunny day it seems placid and welcoming, but within an hour a storm can blow in, or a fog can take a thick grip. Even in this age of mobile phones and satellite positioning, people die on the moor, of exposure, or swallowed up by one of the many thick bogs that are all too easily strayed into. Over the years, countless have met their deaths this way. There are even stories of whole carriages, horses, riders, occupants and all, disappearing forever. There's an air of mystery about the moor. In places like Wispman's Wood or Shaw Prior, the ancient trees, cloaked thick with moss, seem to whisper to each other in long dead tongues. Venture near the old tin mines and you'll hear moaning from deep underground. Some say it's just the wind, though wiser heads will tell you stories of the miners, rough people who lived and worked on the moor centuries ago, many of whom were lost underground, their spirits left to forever roam the huge network of tunnels, searching for a way back to the surface that they will never find. If you don't know the moor, you are best advised to stay on the beaten track. Mary knew the moor. She'd lived there all her life, and for the last twenty years she hadn't ventured off it for so much as a day. Mary was tall, with long grey hair, and was very thin. She shared her home with five black cats and an owl, 
all of which came and went as they pleased. She lived by foraging on the moor. Her meat came from the occasional slaying of a sheep. They roamed the moor in their thousands, each marked with a daub of paint as belonging to this or that farmer. The rest of her food came from berries, wild fruit and vegetables, hazelnuts, mushrooms. She had no electricity, no central heating. Running water was piped from a nearby stream, which she heated over a wood fire for cooking or washing. Despite appearances, Mary wasn't a witch. She knew better than to delve into the world of magic. She knew no good ever came of it. Robert Smith wasn't a storyteller. He knew nothing of magic or the spirits of the moor. Robert and Mary weren't related, by the way, they just happened to have the same name. Robert was short, balding and fat. He lived just a dozen or so miles from Mary, though their lives could hardly have been more different. He lived in an identicate council flat on the outskirts of the city of Plymouth, between the moor and the sea, though he never visited either. His overbearing, upwardly wishing mother had ensured, through careful choice of schools and sheer stubbornness, that he had never developed the local accent. But other than that, he was a typical Plymouthian. He worked in an office doing officey things, went to the pub every Friday night, and watched the Argyle when they were playing at home. He had electricity and warm water. One thing Mary and Robert had in common, though, other than their surname, was that they were lonely. Neither of them had ever even had a girlfriend or boyfriend, let alone been married. And so it was that on the 2nd of January, both fulfilled their New Year's resolutions and put adverts in the Lonely Hearts column of the Plymouth Herald. And so it was that a month later, Mary and Robert sat side by side on a picnic blanket laid out at the top of the Dewar Stone, a huge cliff of granite near Shore Bridge on the moor with a view vertically down for several hundred feet and horizontally out for easily fifty miles, made Robert dizzy. He was still catching his breath from the climb up. Wow! You said it was an easy climb! It is. Is it? Yes. If that's an easy climb, then I'm... something implausible. You're unfit. I am. I'm... Not bad, is it? No, it's... Uh, uh, wow. What? Robert scuttled back from the edge. It's... I can't... What? I can't... What? I'm having... What? He was having a panic attack. What's that? It's... It's like... It, it feels like a heart attack. But it's not. I need to lie down. Don't worry. I'm not. Robert lay on the ground, curled up in a ball, as far back from the edge as he'd been able to get, his back to a huge lump of granite sheltering him from the wind. Mary looked at him. Should I do something? It'll go. I, d I just need to breathe. Good idea. Mary waited. Robert breathed. And so it was that six months later they were back at the top of the Dewar Stone. They sat, legs dangled over the edge, having just finished their picnic of pasties, ginger beer and wild strawberries. It was a hot, clear day. Both were in shorts and t-shirts. In the interim, Mary had become less thin. Gifts of pasties and chocolate from Robert had seen to that. And Robert less fat. Hikes across the moor with Mary had seen to that. They come from the old miners, 
on the moors here and Cornwall. They invented them. Or their wives, probably. I think they're my favourite food. You do surprise me. On match day, there are vans. Sell them all up and down the main road by the Argyle. One on the corner of North Down Road does the best. A mile around the stadium, all you can smell is warm pasties. Oh. You should come. They used to have two halves, savoury one, sweet the other. And the lumps of pastry at either end were bigger, you know, like proper handles. So the miners could hold the handles while they ate, and then they'd throw them away when they finished. I've got pasty handles. <laughs> How do you know so much stuff? Who told you that? What? About the pasties? I don't know. My mum, I suppose. Tension cut through the bonhomie. Mary had not meant to bring her mum into the conversation, and experience told Robert not to probe. He knew nothing of Mary's parents. She mentioned them so rarely he had no idea whether they were even still alive. She knew everything about him, not that it was particularly interesting. While she had said so little about her past, shutting him down whenever he broached it. For all he knew, she could have risen from the earth fully formed. He looked out across the panorama of moorland. Bewitching. Yes. I meant you. Bewitching. If not an actual witch. Thanks. I mean it. It's like I wasn't really living before I met you. All right. No, I mean it. Nothing was exhilarating. Things are exhilarating now. You're... exhilarating. Sure. Why do you always do that? I'm not trying to do anything. I'm just saying the truth. I was bored before. Now I'm not. You're not boring. Would you like to have sex with me? Shouldn't I kiss you first? If you like. And so it was. Two months later, Mary asked Robert to marry her, and Robert said yes. And for the first time in 20 years, Mary came down off the moor to watch the Argyle play at home and to visit Robert's house and meet his family and friends. And one month after that, on Halloween day, as it so happened, they were married at St Michael's Church on the top of Brent Tor on Dartmoor, the small church filled with Robert's friends, his work colleagues, his brother and sister, and his parents. Robbie, this is nuts. A church at the top of a hill with no bloody road. A tour. What? A tour. Hills are called tours on Dartmoor. Why? I don't know. How long have you lived here and you don't know that? Since when did you know that? Where are Mary's guests, darling? Her parents? This is it. There aren't any? No. It's just her. Oh, darling, that's so sad. Why didn't you tell me? There's nothing to tell. That she didn't have any family? What about friends? She doesn't have any friends? It's where she lives. There's no one around. So there aren't going to be any bridesmaids? It's where she lives. Darling, you can't have a wedding without bridesmaids. You know how much Tabby's always wanted to be a bridesmaid. Oh, this is going to break her heart. No bridesmaids and she wasn't even asked. Darling, it's not too late. We can delay. Do this properly. In a proper church with a road and bridesmaids and a choir and flowers. Darling, there aren't even any flowers. You can't have a wedding without flowers. Did you even think about me in this for one moment? Watching my only son getting married like this. I'm not your only son. Uh, allow me to introduce myself? No, sorry, Lawrence, but you know what I mean. Do I? I mean the only son who'll get married. Why won't I get married? Don't make me say it, dear. Say what? Your little complaint, darling. What complaint? Your little 
problem. Do you mean my eczema? You don't need to remind me, dear. I have eczema on my feet. You don't need to keep saying it, dear. So does Dad. You shouldn't be doing it like this, Robert, love. We can delay. It's it's not Mary. Mary's fine. She's, she's fine. That one time you allowed us to meet her. It can still be Mary. Ah, uh, very generous. I just mean we could do it properly. I mean, who's even giving her away? This is ridiculous. We can delay. It's not too late. But it was too late. The door to the church opened, the small old organist struck up on the small old organ, and Mary entered, alone. She seemed almost to glide up the aisle, the train of a timeless lace dress brushing lightly over the flagstones. Robert was transfixed. We are gathered together in the sight of God to celebrate the union of Robert Smith and Mary Smith in holy matrimony. Marriage is a holy estate ordained of God as a symbol of the union between Christ and his church. It is not to be entered into lightly, but soberly, reverently, and in the fear of God. Marriage was ordained of God that man's natural affection should be directed aright, for the bringing up of children in the fear and nurture of the Lord. No photos, darling, no photographer. Where's the photographer? You didn't get a photographer. We'd have got you a photographer. You can't have a wedding without photos. I'm sorry, Mary, I really am. I'm sorry, but really, really, I mean... Wife, come on, wife, it's their wedding, not ours. Photos! Am I going to have to take you away? Come on, we're getting some air. We can take photos on our phones. On our phones? Phones! (sighs) Sorry about her. That's all right. Thank you for marrying me. That's all right, I suppose. I love you. I love you too. You said you weren't going to have anyone here. No. Your friend. At the back? Not me. Must have been yours. Not mine. Not me either. You got me all to yourself. In the cloak. With the red hair. What? Young. Pretty. Red hair. (sighs) Mary! What? Are you alright? The woman. Was she... Mary, are you alright? A cloak? Yes. Yes. (sighs) Old fashioned. Like the Scottish widow's woman. But red hair. There wasn't anyone. I saw her. You didn't. Okay. I didn't. Mary. I didn't. I need a drink. I must have caught your panic attacks. They're not contagious. I know. Sorry. I've been silly. I love you. I love you too. Kiss me. Must I? Kiss me, please. Mary and Robert retired for their wedding night to Mary's cottage, their new home. For reasons neither of them understood, Robert carried his bride across the threshold. Hello, Mrs Smith. Hello, Robert. You're an idiot. I'm hilarious. True. You're also fit. It's a rare combination. True. Robert went around lighting candles while Mary got the fire going, the flickering light reflecting back off the windows the outside world invisible in the darkness. Robbie? Yes? Can you sit down, please? I need to tell you a story. Okay. Should I be worried? I just... There's there's a story I need to tell you. It's about my great-great-great-grandparents. Lots of greats. Should we have sex first? I need to tell you this. 
I think we should have sex first. I feel I have to tell you this story. Mm. It's it's just I feel we have to have sex. Please. Okay. Uh, is everything all right? I'm not a witch. I'm not. What are you talking about? I said I'm not a witch. Okay, this is weird. Is this to do with that thing in church? Please don't tell me I've made a mistake marrying you. You might have done. I hope you haven't. But you might have. Whatever this is, you couldn't have told me before. It's not a thing like that. Like, I've got a disease or anything, or that I have sex with cats. It's a story. But it's not just a story. There's no such thing. I hoped she wouldn't come, but now she has. I don't know if you're being serious. If you're not, then I don't get it. If you are, then I don't get it. The woman in the church. Okay, let me start with this. I believe in spirits. I'm not a spiritist or anything like that, but I've been on the moor long enough. There are spirits out here on the moor. No, there aren't. I've seen them. No, you haven't. I've heard them. I believe you've seen something. It's your brain. Robert, it, don't I'm tell me. I'm not saying anything, just the brain. I know the brain, Robert. I know it plays tricks, like night terrors, when you see a person at the end of the bed or thinking the wind is a ghost. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about spirits. I know them more, Robert. There are people who contact them. I don't. I'm just... I'm just telling you there are things beyond and something beyond is compelling me to tell you this story. Tonight. Now. I can't do anything until I have. Are you going to drink my blood? (laughs) Do you know how weird this is? I'm not anything. I'm not... Just let me tell you this story. You know ghosts aren't real, right? I know. Just please. I have no choice. Whatever. Just... Just... Please tell me you're you. I am. I just need to tell you a story. That's all. Mm. Okay? Robert resigned himself and sat back in an armchair by the fire. Are you comfortable? Sort of. He wasn't. Sure? No. Yes. Good. Okay. This story culminates exactly 200 years ago tonight in this very room. Back then, this was not a home. It was a barn, though a home of sorts, I suppose, to cows. As Mary began, Robert looked first at her, then into the fire. It held his gaze. He blinked and tried to look away, but found he couldn't. As the flames moved, he felt first dizzy, then tired. He was more tired than he'd realised. He entered a trance of sorts, and as he did, Mary and the room faded, till all there was were the flames and Mary's voice. And a bull, a big, angry bull, which had a pen in the corner. So back then, this was a barn. Out there was the farmhouse. That footprint you've seen in the ground, the foundations. The house that's not there anymore, that was the farmhouse then. The farmer and his wife lived there. Robert was the farmer, and Mary, his wife. They've been childhood sweethearts, married at 16. Thank you for marrying me, Mrs. Smith. And thank you for marrying me, Robert. You're an idiot. (laughs) I'm a happy idiot. It's why you love me. True. But one thing was missing. They had no children. For 20 years, they remained childless. I'm sorry, Mayor. I don't know what's wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with you. God's will is beyond our knowing. God's 
God's will has nothing to do with it. Don't talk of God. Twenty times, Robert. Is that God's will? Twenty times. I'm like the old cow you slaughtered because she was no use to you. Robert had no words. Nearly two dozen miscarriages had taken their toll on him as well. But through it all, their love for each other stayed undented. They recovered from the latest as they always did. Though Mary was quieter from that day on, her store of hope finally empty. One day, while clearing out a cupboard, Mary came across a book. It was small, bound in black leather and ancient looking. Not ancient by the way of being really old, but deeper than that. Almost as if there was something eternal about it. The only marking was a silver many-cornered star on the front cover. Instinctively, Mary knew this book was for her and her only. For the first time in her life, she had a secret from her husband. The book drew her like Gollum to the ring. Inside, the writing was unintelligible hieroglyphs, scribbles to her. She searched the pages for meaning, but the little book did not give up its secrets. Then, it was midnight on the night of Halloween 204 years ago. Mary couldn't sleep. She felt her way from the bedroom to the living room, where the embers of a fire threw out a little light. She took the book from its hiding place and opened the familiar pages. As she did, her skin turned cold. The hieroglyphs had turned from black to glowing gold and were raised like braille. She traced them with her fingers, hungrily turned the pages, tracing, turning, tracing. Her eyes began to burn, her fingers itched. She looked into the dying fire and entered a trance. And so it was the next morning, Robert found her asleep on the flagstones by the fireplace. She was cold as death to touch. With much effort, he woke her. Mare. Mare. Mary. What? You didn't come to bed. Where's... where's... What? What are you looking for? Mary. What are you looking for? Mary was different after that night. Robert noticed it. She was close to him somehow. Distant. When he asked her how she'd come to be asleep beside the fire, she said she didn't know, or that she must have sleepwalked. But he could see she was keeping something from him. There was something behind her eyes as if she knew something he didn't. And when he returned to the farmhouse of an evening, the scent was often one of rosemary and sage. He sometimes found trails of salt in the courtyard, or blood, or chicken's entrails. Mary always had a ready explanation, but it was odd. A little over a year later, it was a stormy winter's night. Of course it was. That's when bad things happen. Pitch black outside, the wind howling, the shutters over the windows banging against the frames. Mary and Robert sat opposite one another by the fire. Mary reading aloud from the Bible, squinting in the shadowy light from a paraffin lamp. And so it shall pass that these two things shall come to you in a moment, in one day. The loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure, in spite of your many sorceries and the great power of your enchantments. You felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray. But evil shall come upon you, which you will not know how to charm away. Disaster shall fall upon you, for which you will not be able to atone. And ruin shall come upon you suddenly, 
Stand fast in your enchantments and your many sorceries. Perhaps you may be able to succeed. Perhaps you may inspire terror. Who could be abroad at this hour? In this weather? Robert opened the door to find a woman. Young, beautiful, with red hair and blood-red lips. She wore a dark cloak, her face only half visible, hidden in the shadow under a large hood. I am come, she said. I have been summoned and I am come. I am come with a message. Your prayers have been heard. Mary, you will bear a child. A daughter. You will call her Ruth. She will make and break your heart. And great will be the pain. Come in. Quick, please, come in. We've been waiting for you. We know you. Robert, could you leave us, please? Who is she? What are you doing knocking down our door in the middle of the night, offering us strange proverbs? We didn't summon you. We haven't asked for you. What do you mean we've been waiting for her, Mayor? Robert, please. There's strangeness here, Mayor. I won't have this in my house. I meant we await anyone in need of food and shelter, and we are always ready to provide. You will not turn a wanderer away from our door. We turn no one into the night. Mary, I'm telling you, this is no good. Robert, I'm telling you, you will not turn a lone woman away from our door. She's mad. What's all that nonsense? She's a witch, Mare. She could be a witch. I won't harbour a witch under my roof. Robert Smith, get out! Get out! Go to your room! I will not have you insulting guests in our home. When have you ever turned anyone away? Mare. Now! Robert did as he was told. Mary didn't join him in their bed that night, and he found her the next morning asleep in a chair by the fire. The strange visitor was gone. And so it was that six months later, the first beginnings of a bump began to show. And not long later, baby Ruth was born. The labour was long and painful and bloody, but Robert had acted as midwife to many a heifer, and he thought this similar enough. Hello, Mummy. Hello, Daddy. You're beautiful. (laughs) You're an idiot. Now give me my baby. Soon the house was filled with the toddler's laughter, and life on the farm was idyllic. Mary forgot about the book. The hieroglyphs, the incantations and the charms dissipated from her life. She had no need of them now. All was well. It was a sunny summer's afternoon, of course. Nothing bad ever happens on such days. Mary was in the farmhouse. Robert was here, in this very barn with Ruth, then a robust, happy-go-lucky three-year-old, with deep red hair and the reddest lips you've ever seen. She sat with a yellow chick in her hand, stroking it and laughing, while Robert scattered corn for the hens. (laughs) Chicken, lay a little egg for me. I want one for my tea. Oh, I haven't had had an egg since Easter, and and now now it's half past three. So chick, 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 chicken, lay a little egg for me. You're my lovely little chicken. I'm not a chicken. Aren't you? No, I'm a girl. Are you? I thought you were my little chicken. Are you being silly? I am. I'm being silly. I'm going to call one of our chickens Ruthie. The red one. Ruthie the chicken. While Ruth and Robert talked, the bull stood in his pen. 
right here in the corner of the barn, eyeing them. The gate to the pen was weak, and the bull was strong. It had escaped before, and Mary had asked Robert several times to strengthen the pen. He'd always said he'd get round to it. The bull waited till Robert's back was turned, then roared and charged the gate. It splintered, and before Robert knew it, Ruth was crushed against the wall, her screams of fear dying away in a moment. Robert leapt on the bull. It tossed him into the air, smashed him against a wall, stamping angrily on his chest. The instant Mary heard the noise, she knew. Mary dug their graves herself, buried them herself, right here in this barn beneath our feet. Doubtless their bones lie here still. In the months that followed, she became a recluse and reimmersed herself in the world of her book. Every night, she drew constellations in salt on the hearth, threw the blood of chickens into the fire, chanted incantations which she didn't understand, and yet somehow knew they were part of her. There was a plan, she knew it, some kind of dark symmetry to it all. It was all building to this moment, the night when spirits are most easily summoned. Halloween night, exactly 200 years ago. Here, right where we sit, above the graves of her husband and her only child, on a dark and stormy Halloween night, Mary set a table. Upon it, a candle and the book. She would summon forth the spirits of her dear departed. Somehow they would join together. Either they would join her here, or she would join them there, wherever there was. She opened the book, traced the pages, and began to chant. Hectibi Carmina Noctai sedis ochnune heth in tenebris. 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 Hectibi Carmina Noctai sedis. And then a voice she recognised. She'd heard it once before. I am come. I have been summoned and I am come. I am come. I have been summoned and I am come. And then a scream, that of a young child and a roar, and then the candle went out. Mary jumped. She felt the cold metal of a knife against her throat. Robert jumped. Mary in the room came back into focus. What? Then what? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I don't know what happens next. What happened? Yes, happened. Happens. Okay. Uh, I don't know what to say. Should I say something? I mean, it was a good story. Gripping. It felt very real. I I like a ghost story. I don't. We always tell ghost stories, my mates at school. Oh, they'd have loved you. Then a moment of realisation. You're unbelievable. What? You set this up, didn't you? What do you mean? <laughs> with, with the woman in the church. The same as in the story. The, the, she's the same as the woman in the story with the, with the cloak and the red hair. You set it up to scare me. Halloween. Could be. As if she's a ghost. Something like that. So what's the story? What do you mean? I've told you. No, about her. Something to do with her having been wronged by one of your ancestors. Now she visits vengeance on each successive generation. That's not my story to tell. You didn't come up with it, did you? It's not my story to tell. There's a problem, though, isn't there? 
If Robert and Mary Smith were your ancestors, they only had one child, Ruth. And Robert and Ruth both died. The story finished with a knife to Mary's throat, then the line dies out. I didn't say Mary died. You don't know, do you? It's not my story to tell. Robert shook his head. <sighs> Mary Smith. Bewitching. If not an actual witch. Yes. Shall we go to bed now? You're so strange. Yes, I'm strange. And I love you. I'll be less strange. Let's go to bed. Hmm. Don't be less strange. I like you. Mrs. Strange. I like you too, Robert. And so it was that Mary and Robert Smith went to bed for the first time as husband and wife. A storm had picked up, and the newlyweds held each other close as the wind knocked on the windows and crept through the walls. Robert jumped as the clock struck the hour. As it reached its final midnight chime that Halloween night, anyone brave or foolish enough to be out on the moor would have heard the souls of the miners and would have seen the moor give up her dead. Among them, a young woman in a dark cloak, walking purposefully towards the cottage where the bride and groom lay. Mary's Story was written by our associate writer, Chris Jameson. It was voiced by Holly Edwin, Emma Ballantyne, Grace Dunn, Chris Jameson, Arthur McBain, and Owen Jenkins. Okay, thank you, everyone. Thank, thank you so you. much for listening. Yeah. Now, we have... <laughs> There's a weird lag <laughs> happening on the line. It's <laughs> a really weird lag. You Every time I speak, you go, Yeah. <laughs> Um, um, <laughs> now <laughs> yeah. thank you so much everyone uh, yeah. remember to keep your ears close to the ground because our birthday is going to be on February 20th at your peril is uh, going to be starting the terrible twos the, the terrible two yeah we're going to be a toddler and uh, we're going to be, be a toddler we're going to be <laughs> some- <laughs> This is bollocks. This is absolute bollocks. I think we got it. Bye. Bye.